Well, good morning again, and uh, for those of you guys that are online, I welcome you guys as well. Uh, if we are in Nehemiah, in our study in the book of Nehemiah, so if you have a Bible with you, uh, you may want to turn over there to Nehemiah chapter 6 is where we're going to settle in this morning. If you have one of these journals with you, you may want to pull that out as well. Uh, I hear on a regular basis, so for those of you guys that are here in person, allow me to have just a second uh, because I hear from a regular, on a regular time, for those of you guys that are online, uh, that that platform is an encouragement to you, whether you're not feeling well, you're able to stay home, and that kind of stuff. And so I'm just glad that you're listening, that you're tuning in. But I also want to invite you, when you feel welcome, to come and join us in person. There's a spot just for you. We'll put your name on it if we have to, but we want to invite you to come in and be a part of things. So... For the rest of us here, uh, we're in Nehemiah chapter 6, and the story of Nehemiah is a story about repentance. It's a story about turning away from uh, the things of of, of this world and the things that kind of get our minds going and to turn back to the things of God, to return to the ways of God. And the biblical name there, biblical word there, is to repent, to, to stop going in one direction, to turn and go into a new direction. The people of Israel had been going in a direction that was far away from God, that was leaning them, leading them away from the things of God. And Nehemiah and others begin to teach them and to lead them to repent, to turn and start going back into the ways of God and to return to the things of God. Nehemiah, the story of Nehemiah is him specifically rebuilding the wall around Jerusalem. But as we've said throughout this whole series, the city of Jerusalem was a visible reality or visible reminder of a spiritual reality. So the city, if it was in shambles, would remind them of their own spiritual life in shambles or in brokenness. And so when the city was restored, it was a restoring of their own life with God. So it was a a visible reality of a spiritual need for them. So when Nehemiah is calling them to restore and rebuild the wall in the city, he's not just talking about a physical city. He's talking about a spiritual reality, the need to repent in our own life, and we go from there. And while we may not be building cities or restoring houses or doing those kind of rebuild projects, the story of Nehemiah is a story for each one of us. Because each of us need at time, from time to time to repent from things that we have been doing, the ways in which we've been steering our way away from our lives away from the way of God, and to turn and, restore, and return to this faithfulness and to the story of God in our life. That for each of us, while we may not be building something, we have a spiritual need to return and restore our life to the things of God. So as we study the story of Nehemiah, I want us to remind or, or to be reminded of the fact that God doesn't give up on us. This restoration project in our life, in our spiritual life, is not something that God has given up on. He didn't give up on the Israelites when they had wandered for years and had turned their back on God. He gave them an opportunity to return and to rebuild through some of the the pagan uh, kings that had given them the opportunity. He gave them the opportunity to restore their life, to repent, in other words. And the same is true for you and I. That we are given the opportunity to repent, to return, to rebuild our spiritual life around the person of Jesus Christ. No matter how far or how long we have turned away or wandered away from God, that God gives us the opportunity to return. This is good news for us. God has not given up on us. Whether you've been following Jesus for minutes or for decades, God has not given up on this project to restore us 
and to renovate or change our hearts into the line into line up with the heart of God. So this story of Nehemiah, while it's a story about building and about a city and about walls and gates and everything else along the way, it's about our hearts. It's about returning our hearts to the things of God, that we would see our lives take on the eternal meaning and significance that our hearts desire all along. It's about repenting, returning to the ways of God. Before we jump into Nehemiah chapter 6, let me pray for us, and I'll get another drink of water because my throat is hurting a little bit, uh, and then we'll jump into Nehemiah 6. God, we're grateful for you this morning and for what you are teaching us about being your people. I pray that you would, you would come alive to us in ways that only you can. Allow the story to connect with us in, in our ways that we can remain true to your life. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, if you've been following along in the, in the reading plan of Nehemiah or in the journal or in the fasting periods that we've been doing during the series, you know that in Nehemiah chapter 6, you'll see that amidst all the chaos, the political, economic, social unrest that's happening all around Nehemiah, these walls around the city, they get finished. Now, there's still some hanging of the doors. There's still some things that need to be done here, but the wall is completed. And it's completed, we're told in the scripture, that in 52 days it's completed, which is a miraculous uh, endeavor all by itself, a testimony to Israel's courage and resolute uh, decision to continue to follow after God. But these walls are, are done. The, the, the work of rebuilding the city that Nehemiah had sent to do is, is for all intents and purposes, done. But even when the walls are just about finished with all the few little tweaks along the way, Attacks still come. Opposition to the rebuild project still comes to us. And this is really nothing new because all throughout Nehemiah we've seen opposition show up in every turn of the page. You see opposition in one way or another show up in Nehemiah's life. First they attacked the building project itself. They came to the people that were building there, the, the workers that were building. Then they attacked their families and they tried to stir up fear and anxiety in the families of those who were building. And now in Nehemiah 6, they, they come to the leader himself. They come to attack Nehemiah. They, they come to try and steer him away from things. As the walls are starting to kind of get up and be finished, they go after Nehemiah. And something we've said all throughout the series, but it, it bears worth repeating here, that when you and I decide to return our life to God, to intensely, purposefully pursue the ways of Jesus, we ought to, we ought to expect opposition. We ought to expect opposition to our desire to grow into Christ-likeness. And one of the things you see in the story of Nehemiah is opposition comes right out of the gate. Right out of the gate when Nehemiah shows up in the city, begins to start telling people about the project and what he's going to do and how they're going to restore the, the walls, there's opposition immediately right away to take them away from the things that God has for them. And some of the things that we realize in our life, when you make a decision to follow after Jesus, to purposely pursue the ways of Jesus, immediately we are, or we are faced with opposition. If you begin to follow Jesus, even the slightest step towards Jesus, we ought to face, we ought to recognize we're going to face opposition immediately. But we also see in the projects here that as the walls begin to be finished, excuse me, as the walls begin to get finished, and they begin to get going, opposition still comes. 
So we ought to be reminded that you've been maybe following Jesus for decades. You may have been following Jesus since the time you can remember. And maybe you're tempted to think, that I've been following Jesus for so long, it's just going to be good now. I can put it on cruise control and set off into the sunset and everything's going to be all right. But one of the things that Nehemiah's story reminds us is though, though we may have been following for a while and the project of our heart being renovated into the image of Jesus may have built up some steam and some, some momentum. We're seeing things happen in our lives. Things are going well. Opposition can still come. Opposition can still come and can still thwart us away from the things of God. Just because we've been following Jesus for decades does not mean that we are immune to the opposition that can come into our life. There may be times when you are tempted to just throw in the towel. And you've been following Jesus for decades. And yet opposition can still come to you. Just like Nehemiah is just about done with the wall and all the, the momentum and everything is building up. And yet opposition still comes to him. So we ought to expect opposition, but not just when we first start. Not just when we first take the step of following Jesus. But in every step along the way, we ought to expect that there will be times when we face opposition. And the question is, how are we going to remain faithful? How are we going to see this project all the way through? Because for Nehemiah, it wasn't just about starting well. It wasn't just about starting the momentum, getting the project off the ground, putting a few bricks in line, but it was about finishing well. It was about going the full distance and not just the starting line. Well, we see a few attacks that come on Nehemiah, and when we see these attacks, we see his response, and we can learn some things about how we remain faithful. A key protection against all of these attacks is learning to be faithful, which it just simply means we make the decision to persevere, to keep going, to put one step in front of the next. Even when we're tired, even when it's difficult, even when things are coming along our way, we decide to keep going. We keep going. But we see some of these attacks in Nehemiah's character and in his story, and we can kind of see the same in ours. But the first kind of attack that we see in Nehemiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 2, is that it comes in the form of distraction. So listen to verses 1 and 2. When the word came to Sambalat, Tobiah, Jeshem, the Arab, and the rest of our enemies that I had rebuilt the wall and not a gap was left in it, though up to that time I had not set the doors and gates, Sambalat and Jeshem sent me this message. Come, let us meet together in one of the villages on the plain of Ono. But they were scheming to harm me. Now these men were the same men that had been bringing the attacks from the very beginning. So Nehemiah is right to be a little suspicious here. Like what's going on? What's the stuff beneath the surface? What's behind the question here, right? But he's not only suspicious about the people that are asking to have a meeting, which might sound generally nice. Let, let's get together. Let's, let's make amends. Let's, let's talk this stuff through here. But not only is he suspicious of the people, he's suspicious about the location that they're asking to meet. One of the villages, Nehemiah, and some of the commentators say, think here that you, you choose. You choose where we meet. We'll, we'll put the ball in your court. You choose where we meet. We'll just meet in one of the villages in the plains of Ono, somewhere in that region. We'll meet anywhere you want to meet. Well, that region was about 20 to 25 miles away from Jerusalem. It would have taken a day to two days for Nehemiah to travel there. It would have been a massive distraction for him. So Nehemiah sees right through the distraction. 
and he doesn't want to go. He says no. And what I want to suggest for us, though, while we may have a desire to follow God, to pursue Jesus, there are lots of things that can distract our attention, that can get us off track, that can tempt us to take time away from our pursuit of Jesus. And we just live constantly distracted by one thing or another. Our schedules are distracting us pulling us to be in two places at the same time. Go here, go there. People that we have to meet with, people can be a distraction for us from following Jesus. Social media can be a distraction for us from actually learning to be patient and kind and generous and loving and all the rest of it. Social media and the people we send our our lives around and the things we do and the ways which we set up our schedule can distract us. We can live so hurried and distracted lives that our minds are, are going all along. Even though our bodies may stay still, our minds are constantly scrolling from one thing to the next, to the next, to the next. And we can easily get caught up and distracted into the ways of a culture that is full of anger and contempt and fear. And as long as we are distracted by our schedules and by other people, and by the things that we think we need to do, as long as we're distracted by those things, then our growth into Christ-likeness will be always shortened and just like limited. And we just live this way. That's just kind of the way we are growing up. So in that truth kind of statement, what do you do? How do you persevere through all the distractions? What are things we can do in order to eliminate, eliminate some of those distractions? How do you respond when there's so many demands on your schedule to be in two places at one time? How do you respond when there's things that are people in your life that are trying to get you to go places or do things that you know are going to distract your heart from growing into Christ's likeness? How do you respond? How do you respond to the various ways in which we're distracted? Well, my suggestion is that we take a lesson from Nehemiah. So I think he does it right here. I think he does some things right. Nehemiah chapter 6, verses 3 and 4. I sent messengers to them with this reply. I am carrying on a great project and I cannot go down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and go down to you? Four times they sent me the same message and each time I gave them the same answer. See, a great principle at work in Nehemiah's life that is a good thing for us to take into our life as well and that is the principle of setting good, healthy boundaries. Good, healthy boundaries. I love the way Nehemiah describes the, the, the building of the wall here. Because I'm involved in a great project. The greatness of the project. I see how wonderful, how important this project is. And because of how great the project is, because of how important the project is, he's able to set boundaries and not allow other things to distract him from the greatness and the importance of this project. In other words, he had to say no to some things in order to say yes to the right things. He had to say no to some things that might have sounded good. His enemies, those that were seeking to attack him, were saying, hey, let's meet, let's let's make amends. That might have been a good thing. But he had to say no to that. Why? Because of the greatness and the importance of the project before him. And so he set healthy boundaries to keep his focus on that which was eternally important. And that's what boundaries do for us, right? 
They help us keep distractions aside so we can focus on what are really important, what's really great, what we declare as great. Can I suggest something for you this morning? Can I make a suggestion that the greatest project before you is your deepening life with God? There is not a greater project before you than your life with Jesus. There's not a single thing you can give attention to that is more significant, that is more meaningful, that is more eternal, that is more life-giving than deepening your life with Jesus. It is the greatest project that you can give your attention to. I heard the story of Henry Nouwen, who was a Catholic priest and an author. He's written tons of books and uh, one of my favorite authors, actually. And he was at a conference, I think it was in Southern California, and he was speaking to this massive crowd of people about the spiritual life and about growing and about spiritual disciplines and how you can do these things. And during the Q&A time, a woman stood up, a young woman with young children. And she asked Henry, how do I do some of these things and how do I incorporate some of these practices and disciplines and, and teach my kids in particular? How do I teach my kids how to have a life with Jesus? How do I do all these things? Well, he was a Catholic priest, so he's unmarried and he has no children. So everyone in the crowd is kind of curious about how is this guy who does, doesn't know the first thing about raising kids and the, the demands that are on a young mom, how is he going to respond to this woman? And he gave it some thought, and after giving some thought, he finally spoke up and he said that the greatest gift you can give your children is the gift of you being a growing person in Christ. The greatest gift that you can give your children is the gift of you being a growing person in Christ. There's so much wisdom in that. There's so much. The greatest project before you most significant, most meaningful thing before you is not your job. It's not parenting. It's not your marriage. It's not your friends. It's not your coworkers. As wonderful as all of those are, as important and necessary as all of those are, but the greatest, the greatest project that's before any one of us is our deepening life with God. Because life with God fuels everything else. A deep life with God fuels a life in your marriage, fuels your parenting, fuels how you go to your job. It fuels how you interact with those on social media. It fuels how you do everything else. The greatest project before you, the greatest gift that you can give to someone else is the gift of you being a growing person in Christ. And without healthy boundaries, our lives will be distracted and our life with God will be put on the back burner and everything else will vie for our attention and our calendar and our schedule and everything else will drive our life and our life with God will be put in the back corner and on the back burner. And all chaos will ensue and our lives will be distracted and the enemy of our soul wants nothing more than for us to be distracted away from the greatest project that could be laid before you, which is your deepening life with Jesus. For many of us, and, and I'd say this for myself as well, when I get around, when we get around certain people or certain places 
I can find myself kind of just getting sucked into the, the tornado of what's going on in that situation with those people and, and the fear and the anger and the gossip and all the stuff that's going around. I can find myself just being drawn into that thing. And when I find myself being drawn into that, I need healthy boundaries so that my life with Jesus is prioritized rather than something else. Or when I spend money in such a way that it stretches us so thin that we have very little left to be generous with, very little to support kingdom efforts with because I'm, I'm spending my, my resources, my time, and my, my money so much in so different ways that stretches us so far that I don't have any wiggle room to be generous with, for kingdom effort. And in, whenever I'm around people or places or I'm spending more than I need to, it pulls me away from heavenly life of joy and peace and patience and generosity and all of that. That's true of me. I, I, I suspect it's true of many of you as well. Perhaps one thing we can learn from Nehemiah, perhaps a principle we can bring into our life is to prioritize healthy boundaries, to learn to say no to some things so that I can say yes to the right things. And I hope, you, I hope you know me well, at least well enough. No shame here. There's no shame or unnecessary guilt that I'm trying to pour on you. But until you and I decide that the greatest project in our life is a developing deep life with God, there are going to be all sorts of things that distract us, all sorts of things that, that vie for our schedule and for our time and for our, mind, our money and our resources and everything else. Until we decide that our deepening with life with God is the greatest thing that I can give my life to, we'll be susceptible to all sorts of distractions. For, for us, we need to help have healthy boundaries. Nehemiah sets healthy boundaries and it enables him to finish well. To not just start well, but to finish well. But there's a second way that they attack Nehemiah, and it comes in verses 6 through 9. And these are rumors that they begin to spread about Nehemiah. This picks it up in verse 9, says this. It is reported among the nations, and Jeshem says it is true, that you and the Jews are plotting to revolt. And therefore you are building the wall. And moreover, according to these reports, you're about to become their king. And even appointed prophets to make the proclamation about you in Jerusalem. There is a king in Judah. Now this report will get back to the king, so come, let's meet together. But I sent him this reply. Nothing like what you are saying is happening. You're just making it up out of your own head. They were going to try to frighten us, thinking that their hands will become too weak for the work and will not be completed. But I prayed, strengthen my hands. Nehemiah's enemies don't find him willing to come have a meeting, so they begin to start spreading false rumors about him. Generally, they're trying to get him caught into a, a debate or engaging in gossip and, and to at least somehow distract him from the work that is ahead and to distract him from what he's needing to do, to just kind of get into a verbal argument back and forth. Spread some rumors. Let me, let me say some things bad about you and, and to try and dis, and try to engage you into some kind of verbal argument back and forth. And I wonder, because this happens to all of us, I wonder how you and I might handle rumors when someone falsely accuses us about something. Because how often it's real easy for us to just go back and defend and just to kind of go back on somebody else and say something about them. And now we get into this, this ping pong match of just verbal assault back and forth, back and forth. All the while, that just distracts us from what God is calling us to do. 
to be following of him. Nehemiah doesn't get into a, a ping pong battle of words. He doesn't mudsling. He doesn't go into a competition of gossip and who can gossip harder than the other person can. He just simply stands on the truth of his character. And he just he says, what you're saying is not true. He's not, he just says, I'm not going to engage with you. I'm not going to get into some battle with you. Uh, what you say is tr not true. Again, this great principle for us, as we seek to live lives that are faithful and are persevering in our life with God, to live lives of integrity. Live lives of integrity. Jesus teaches us this actually in Matthew chapter 5 when he says this, all you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. Because rumors and getting involved in, in a verbal ping pong match, we just go back and forth, just tends to drag us down and we tend to throw our ethics out the window and we just see how badly we can make the other person look. But when we live a life of integrity, of faithfulness, of truthfulness, we will guard against any rumors because truth will be manifested. Truth will come out and the rumors will be seen for what they are. So we don't have to stoop low to gossip and, and slander and those kind of tactics, we can rise above that when we live lives of integrity. For eventually, Scripture is clear on this, eventually the truth will be exposed and rumors will be exposed for what they actually are. And so we can live with lives of integrity and we can just keep our eyes focused on the things of God and not caught up in gossip and just verbal ping pong back and forth with others. Not getting dragged into that. Then Nehemiah ends that with this great prayer. Strengthen my hands. Strengthen my hands, right? It's a wonderful prayer to be reminded and, and, and demonstrated by God's goodness in our life. Which then that leads me to this last thing I want to see about how do we remain persevering and the great project in front of us. We were reminded that all of this faithfulness to the project, faithfulness to what God is doing, is all fueled and, and driven and based on the faithfulness of God. I said this before, right, but you see the, the, the effort that Nehemiah has to put together to put the, the, the walls together, to get the city back in order. There's effort. But if you read between the lines, if you look a little bit behind the curtain, while Nehemiah was doing all the stuff he was doing, God was the one doing the work behind the scenes. And while there are things that we need to do to, to orient our life, to, to not get distracted by the various other things and to, to have this great project in front of us to say to have healthy boundaries say no to some things to say yes to the right things to live a life of integrity there's things that we need to do but behind the scenes it's God who's been doing the transformational work God who's restoring my life it's God's faithfulness not mine so we see this in Nehemiah chapter 6 we pick it up in verse 15 towards the end here now the walls were completed on the 25th of Elul in the 52 days and when all of our enemies heard about this and all the surrounding nations were afraid, lost their self-confidence because they realized that this work had been done with the help of our God. Did you catch that, right? These walls are completed. 52 days, which is a miraculous thing in and of itself, right? Nehemiah is a great leader, great motivator, great person to delegate and get people going. All that stuff is really great but it's not exclusively done by Nehemiah and the Israelites. 
The project before them was a big project, lots of effort on their end, lots of leadership things, lots of things to keep people motivated, to keep them focused. All that is true, but recognize that it is God who is fulfilling the purpose. It is God who is doing the work behind the scenes. And even those who don't know God, even those who are far from God, are recognizing that this work is a great work because God was at work in it. When we think about our life, this ought to encourage you. I know it does me. Because in my desire to have a heart that is more like Jesus, and my desire to have a heart that is more full of patience and kindness and gentleness and faithfulness, and goodness, and love, and mercy, and forgiveness. My desire is to have a growing heart more and more like Jesus. This great project of transforming my life into the image of Jesus. But it's not just my project. The story of Nehemiah reminds me that God is at work in my life. So any amount of transformation that you might see in my life, and while there's effort that I put forward, sure. While there's things I need to do to, to put myself in the right place, absolutely. But any transformation that you see in my life is the work of God, not my work. It is his grace, not mine. It is his effort, not solely mine. This ought to be an encouragement to you. That as we seek to live lives like Jesus, it's not just you on your own. And when anybody sees the transformation of your actual heart where you're becoming more like Jesus, when they see that, even ever so slightly, those who knew you before, even those that don't know Jesus, are going to look at you and they're going to go, man, there's something different. There's going to be something different. And what a testimony. And you go, yeah, there's something different. Because Jesus is doing something different in me. Yeah, have I made healthy boundaries? Yeah. Have, have I tried to, to do the things I need to do to live a life of integrity? Yeah. Am I doing all this? Yeah. But God is doing something behind the scenes in me. God poured his mercy out on us through Jesus. And he was clear on what he had come to do. He had to say no to some things in order to say yes to the right things. And as Jesus took upon his shoulders the sin and the weight of the brokenness of our world. And he stood and he laid on a cross. Do you remember what he said? It is finished. It's done. It's complete. The project that we are engaging in of a heart that's transforming into the image of Jesus will be completed because Jesus will see it to completion. God will do amazing things in your life. When you make the, pro the project of following after Jesus and reorienting your life around him and around his teaching, God will do miraculous things in your life. Marriages will be restored. Children will come back to God. We will see forgiveness at work in our life. Joy will come again to us. God will do miraculous things. Why? Because we're so good, because we align our life so well, because we structure things. No, no, no. Because God is good. Because God is faithful. And it has been completed in Christ. You are well taken care of. For the Israelites, 
Their walls were restored in 52 days, miraculously restored in 52 days. And when you and I prioritize a deepening life with God, our lives will take on an eternal significance and meaning and purpose. Don't underestimate the power of God at work in your life. Don't underestimate. Don't think that you are so far gone away from the things of God that he cannot restore and rebuild and renew your life. For he can do the miraculous. It will take effort on our side to not be distracted, to live lives of integrity and authenticity as best we can. But it will not be simply our strength that brings about lasting change. It won't just simply be our project, for this is God's work at work in our life. And something irrefutable will, see, will be seen by those around us because it's God who's doing the work in your life in your family's life, in this church, and in the community, when we make the greatest project the actual greatest project. So wherever you are in your life with Jesus, you've been following him for minutes, or you've been following him for decades, orient your life around the person of Christ. Prioritize a deepening life with him before all things. There is not a more significant, greater project that you can give your whole heart, mind, soul, everything to than a deepening life with God. Everything else will begin to fall into place when we set the greatest project as the greatest project. But you have to decide. You have to make a decision to follow Jesus more than anything else. And you have to set healthy boundaries to keep your schedule clear enough so that you can make time for Jesus. And you have to begin to learn to live with authenticity and integrity, partnering and cooperating with the Holy Spirit in your life. When you and I remain faithful to the great project of turning our life around to Jesus, we trust in his faithfulness and it will be done. It will be done. Let me pray for you and for me. As we go. Jesus, we're grateful that you have decided that our lives matter and that you desire a, an intimacy and a relationship with us. And I pray for us, that each of us, whether we're here or we're listening online, wherever we are in our life with you, that we would prioritize a deepening life with you, that we would understand that this life with you that brings significance and meaning and purpose is greater than anything we can give our hearts to. For it is the thing that will give us a heavenly life right now. It's in your name we pray. Amen.